Hi, I'm Perry, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Hello and welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real cosmetic chemists answer your beauty product questions and give you an insider's look at the cosmetic industry. This is episode 231. I'm your host, Perry Romanowski, and with me today is Valerie George. She's burning up there in California. Hey, Valerie. Hey, Perry. What, do they have a heat wave out there or something? Oh, it is so hot here. So hot. So if I lose (laughs) power, I'm very sorry. That's the grid shutting down. Oh, well, hopefully you don't lose power before we get to answer the questions we're covering on today's show, which will be, what is the PAO and why can't I find it on makeup? Will natural collagen drinks or tablets improve the appearance of acne scars? Are anti-frizz serums detrimental to hair? And what ingredients should you avoid to prevent milia? Interesting questions Mm. all around. And of course... We're going to have some of our famous chit-chat and a little bit of beauty science news and also a special rant by Valerie. I can't wait to hear that one. (laughs) But first, a little chit-chat. Hey, Valerie, I do have some news. I got a new cat. Meow. How's that going? Well, you know, the last cat I got uh, was uh, named Solar, and we're just doing fostering cats because my wife's allergic, but... uh, we had that cat for just a week. It was so friendly. He loved my wife. He like hung around her all the time. He barely liked me, even though I was the only one cleaning up and You're the and one who rescued me. him. Rude. Exactly. Exactly. But he was sad to see him go. But we got a new cat, and this cat is uh, named Macy, and she just happens to like me more. Oh, good. <laughs> Which... How long do you have Macy? Well, so far we've had her a week, and she's finally uh, getting used to us. Although, you know... Well, the other cat, uh, he was very friendly. This cat, you know, you can pet her for a little while, and then she gets a little too stimulated and will try to swipe at you. So I'm still working on that. She uh, has a lot of sass, I have to say. Oh, good. That's so much fun. Isn't it so fun to have a pet? It is. I do like pets. Um, and, you know, it's the, I like the fostering thing, too, because, you know, there's uh Well, it is, it is sort of bittersweet to let them go, but... <laughs> having a pet you have to sort of think about them a lot and i come from a life where it was just me and my wife and you know we didn't really think about <laughs> anything else so there you go. oh well it's a good change indeed indeed all right shall we move on to some beauty science news yeah here's a story that i saw coming out of the uk and and i only want to talk about it because uh it is it seems relevant to everybody's lives now, but especially Basically, my own. <laughs> yeah, I, that's what I was going to say. Exactly. Yep. The title was that personal grooming slips in the UK, and this this story uh, is is was published in Happy, but it's a a review of a study that came out of the UK that says nearly one in ten adults haven't brushed their teeth every day since the oh, pandemic come started. On. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Now, I have to say, that's probably just the people that admit it, right? I'm, I'm sure there's more. <laughs> Yeah, not many people would admit they don't. Right. I mean, how many, you know, uh, uh, how many times you wake up and then it's, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon, you're like, oh, you know what? I forgot to brush my teeth. That, you're waking <laughs> up at three in the afternoon or three three in the afternoons when you realize you didn't brush your teeth. That second one, right. 
No, I wake up about six every morning, <laughs> even on the weekends. So here are just some things that they say that people have admitted to letting slip. Um, 16% of people say they're not showering every day. And I have to mm. admit, um, I, I, I know this is me. I Before the pandemic, I pretty much showered every day. But... You know, now that I'm not going out anywhere, I'm not really seeing people, uh, you know, some days I just don't feel like it. <laughs> well, I don't shower every day because I, for me, it's too drying on my skin, but mm-hmm. I feel like I am showering less, even more or less. Yeah. Sure. I, 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 yeah, I certainly. But I'm going I, to work every day. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just embracing the COVID grooming spirit. The COVID grime. <laughs> well, there was also uh, 11% of people admitted not using deodorant daily. And honestly, I'm hit or miss with deodorant these days. But again, if I'm not going to be around people, I, I just don't even bother. <laughs> mm-hmm. Although sometimes I have to say that where I'm I'm working and then I like smell my armpits. And I'm like, dude, you need to put on some deodorant. <laughs> and so I'll just do that. But... <laughs> There is something. I'm very surprised soothing. it was that low. I'm going to be honest. Yeah, you know, these are just people who admit it, right? I can figure it's got to be higher, right? Eighteen uh, percent of people say that they leave their hair unwashed. Mm. Now, if I take a shower, I'm going to wash my hair. This is the only way I get foam, right? Because so, I oh, always wash myself with the foam from my shampoo. Yeah, ten percent of people say they don't brush their teeth daily. Now, here's a one. I do not skimp on teeth brushing. In fact, I am on a, a flossing streak. I haven't missed a day of flossing in over two years. Oh, that's great. Yeah. But you know what? It did occur to me the last time I was flossing, because um, maybe I saw a commercial or something. The person flossed after they brushed their teeth. Now, I always floss before I brush my teeth. I floss after. Why wouldn't you do it before? Because that gets all the food out first, and then you brush it all clean. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. That's just what I've always done. I wonder if uh, one of our one of the dentists in our in our audience can tell us what the right well, way. Well, you know, I actually have a friend who's a dentist in Chicago. Oh, really? And she is the reason I floss every day now. I used to just like floss once in a while, and even then. I would just get like the important teeth, you know, sure, it's like, sure. oh, these guys, these guys. And one time she said to me, that's great. You're going to get to keep the teeth you care about and not all of them. And <laughs> oh, I was wow. like, what? Yeah. So ever since then I floss every day, but I do it after brushing. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to call my friend and I'm going to say, what is your stance on flossing? Is it before or after you brush the teeth, maybe pros and cons and what her professional dentist opinion is huh well i will be curious to see what that is although i i, I do wonder this is probably a thing that has never been studied right <laughs> yeah just like much of the cosmetic industry yeah those basic questions not. we really can only guess at all right just a couple more here's one that's uh, this is just disturbing to me six percent of people say they don't change their underwear regularly <laughs> oh my goodness come on everyone change your panties please one in three women say that they have let their routines slip. Uh, I can certainly uh, see yeah, this. Yeah, I would I, agree. Again, mm-hmm. I'm surprised it's only one in three. Like, who is getting up and putting on makeup? And Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I have a friend, and maybe I mentioned 
mentioned this before on the show, um, they actually calculated what loss it would be to their business because people are using less makeup. Yeah. It, it was pretty incredible. I mean, to the amount of like, just for one of their brands, millions of dollars. It, it's this, this whole pandemic certainly cannot be good for the beauty industry, right? Mm-hmm. Hmm. No way. Speaking of the beauty industry, someone launched Ugh. a new product which you wanted to talk about. Yeah, so there is a salon hair care brand. I won't mention their name in case we have any followers, but if you worked on this brand in the marketing, I really ask that you be ashamed of yourself right now. <laughs> there shame. is a toning mask that just went on pre-sale, and I'm a hair color chemist, so A, I follow this brand anyway, and then B, I'm like, oh, cool, toning mask, let me take a peek. Um, and in general, I really like this brand's products. So I went to look, and it is a luxe purple mask that corrects dull or yellow hues and prevents fading. And when you are using any hair product that has purple in it, the whole uh, point of using this product is to make your hair cooler and less brassy or yellow looking. And this just works by simple color theory. If your hair is kind of yellow and you add purple color to it, color is additive purple plus yellow yeah. neutralizes out. So you're basically, um, you know, toning, toning your hair. And what interested me is that it says formulated with naturally derived pigments from the violet flower complex. <laughs> this mask is all you need to tone on your own. And I was like, interesting. They can get purple toning from, um, violet, lavender, couple other things. You mean from those flowers? Yeah, yeah. What they don't disclose is at the very end of their ingredient list, they have external violet too, (laughs) which by the way is the only thing that's toning the hair in that formula. So I just, it really irritated me because people already have beef with hair color and colorants thinking they're dangerous or unsafe. And then you have a brand which I, I think is misleading people saying, oh, it's this natural violet extract that's going to tone your hair. And then really it's like external violet too. It's like, come on, don't mislead people. They think they're using something more natural or safer. And it's just not the case. It just, it really irks me. Like if you want to get me on a soapbox, talk about (laughs) natural hair color. And I will, I will just climb up there and correct you. But it it just really, really annoyed me. There's no such thing as a violet flower extract toning the brassiness out of your hair. It is all thanks to synthetic chemistry, external violet too. Thank you. It happens so often in the beauty industry though, right? Uh, The ingredient that actually does the work is not sexy enough or new enough. So (laughs) a brand is going to put in some extract, attribute some function to that extract and then really get the benefit out of the standard agreement that everyone else uses. Well, do you know what is sexy? A formulator who can get external violet two into a formula given its poor water solubility. You know, it really does have poor water solubility. I remember <laughs> in the lab, we used to try to keep a 0.01% water solution of external DNC violet number two, and it always separated. <laughs> I don't know, I don't yeah, know who's... A great idea it's that was. It's awful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, end rant. And if you have gray hair, feel free to put some of that violet DNC on your hair too. You'll have blue hair. <laughs> yeah, it'll be cool. <laughs> All right, shall we move on to the questions? Yeah. 
Well, the first question comes to us from Isabel. She says, Hi, guys. I have recently started treatments for my acne scars, and I've been told that it would make uh, the process faster if I'd start drinking or taking collagen powder or tablets. I have found one brand that claims they are 100% natural, but unfortunately, I don't know if what they say is actually true. I attached a picture of the ingredients. Uh, Could you please let me know if that is true? And she did include a copy of actually what looked like uh, um, an MSD sheet, uh, or it was actually like a certificate of analysis or something, but it was just a list of all the various proteins the percentages that you were getting, arginine, glycine, that sort of thing. Did it have which animals the connective tissues came from that <laughs> gave the collagen for the supplement? No, it, it had none of that. And, you know, it didn't say <laughs> the word checking. animal anywhere on there. <laughs> Just checking. So to the first question, I'll answer this in two ways. Uh, first, there is the, init- the the first question about the naturalness of it. And then the other part is, uh, is that really going to help anyway? So first, the natural part, um, is this product that she copied me on, uh, is that 100% natural? Well, you know, I doubt that they're making synthetic amino acids because the efficiency of that is not going to be so good. It's not going to be, like, cost competitive to Mm-mm, create not at all. synthetic Mm-mm. amino acids, right? So Amino acids are expensive. Yeah. I, so I'm pretty confident that, uh, indeed, uh, the ingredients in this formula are natural. I mean, as far as natural means anything there um it's you know it's it's going to be processed the the proteins that they get are going to be processed from the source which is a good thing because usually the source has some sort of extra contamination uh, you know be it fatty acids or other non-protein things so um i think overall it's going to be natural um but of course you should know that one of the main sources of collagen is from the meat industry uh, mm-hmm. So it's likely that anytime you take collagen protein supplements, you're getting something that's from animal origin. And I'm not saying this is a bad thing. It's it's a byproduct of the meat industry. We have a meat industry. Yep. Um, otherwise, that protein would just get thrown away. So it gets repurposed, right? I think right? if you're willing to eat meat, I think you should be willing to eat collagen protein from connective tissue and animals. Yeah. I mean, there are sources of plant collagens, but I mean, it's just so much more prevalent in animal protein. So usually it's animal sourced. So overall, it's true. You are getting a natural ingredient, although they also are going to use uh, binders and bulking agents to make that shake powder or to keep those uh, tablets together. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, it's certainly not as natural as, say, going into your backyard and getting leaves of kale that will also contain a little bit of collagen. <laughs> so so is it natural? I guess overall, yeah, it's, it's probably from a natural source. But as far as whether eating that collagen supplements are actually going to help your acne scars, uh, unfortunately, I'm afraid there isn't a lot of evidence that is going to support this. I did take nope. a look at uh, some of the review papers at the various treatments of acne scars and uh, eating collagen supplements was uh, certainly not one of the uh, demonstrated treatments. Now, there are some dermatological treatments that may help. So rather than uh, taking unproven supplements, which you are probably going to be disappointed in, uh, and if you're looking for something vegan, they aren't going to be vegan, 
I'd really suggest that you, you know, see a dermatologist for recommendations for treatments that actually will work because collagen supplements will not. Yeah, save your money. You know, we say that a lot about supplements, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe someday we will get an interview with some supplement ex- expert and we'll try not to be mean to them. <laughs> Maybe they'll change your mind. <laughs> Maybe. No, I'm always not. willing to have my mind changed. <laughs> yeah. All right. How about we move on to an audio question? Ooh. This comes to us from Cynthia. Hi, Beauty Brains. I have a question about pulling after opening or the PIO icon on most makeup. I've become reliant on finding this and writing the expiration date on my makeup when I open it because I find it very useful to know when it expires. However, sometimes I can't find it on makeup, like on L'Oreal Voluminous Mascara. What do I do if I can't find a PAO on my makeup? Thank you so much. Excellent question, Cynthia. So the PAO is a symbol on a cosmetic product that looks like a little can that's opening. It has a base, it has a little lid, it's popping off. And you're going to find a number, could be 3, 6, 9, 12, 24, 36, with the letter M by it. And that tells you how many months the product is good. It's not an expiration date. It tells you how many months the product is good once the product is opened, exposed to air, etc. Well, this is a kind of labeling that you find in Europe. It's like required in Europe, but not so much in the U.S., right? Correct. And... Yeah, so you will find it on products that are for sale in Europe. And you can say, well, I'm buying a product in the United States and I'm finding it on there. The product is probably globally sold, meaning they're selling the same product in the United States or Canada as well as Europe. And so it's listed on there. A lot of brands also list it on there, but it's not necessarily because they're required to for sale. A lot of people think it is a requirement in the United States and it's not. I think the benefit of having this PAO symbol on there is it does help you, once a product is open, remind you that there is a a finite time that you're able to use it. For example, liquid hair color, once you open it, it's good for a very, very short amount of time. However, it could be more stable on a shelf. I think where it doesn't do a good service is that you actually have to remember when you opened the product. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I found like, a mascara tube in my drawer and I'm like, oh shoot, how old is this? Even yeah, how though can you know, right? <laughs> yeah, and the other thing too is you can have that. It doesn't mean the product's going to stay good after you open it. An expiration date still applies to the product. And guess what? In both the EU nor North America, unless it's an OTC product, are you required to write an expiration date? So you could have a product sitting in your cabinet for three years And it has a six-month period after opening symbol, and you open it, and it's bad. And you're like, oh, well, I've only had it open for a day. How can it be bad? It it doesn't equate to the shelf life. So I think uh, while it can come in handy, especially for products that are sensitive to time period after being opened, uh, it's kind of hard to keep in perspective of, of when you open it, and it doesn't necessarily help you when you have an actual expiration date. I have to say, I've never been impressed with these PAO symbols. I I appreciate the effort there, but as you just said, say you buy a product and you just put it in your cabinet for two years and you don't open it, that doesn't mean 
when you open it, it's going to be good for six months or whatever it says in the PAO symbol. I just wonder, how do companies test a formula to get a PA, an accurate PAO number? I, it just seems like a complete guess to it me. It actually comes out of a stability testing and a safety assessment for the mm-hmm. product. And it's, it's not just arbitrarily like, you know what, throw three months on there. I actually did work for a brand one time that they literally, they weren't selling the product in Europe, so it's fine. They literally made up their own period after opening dates. And I was like, yeah, I, I don't think that's how it works. So it's just, anyway, so that's what it is. Um, the period after opening, it's not an expiration date. And if you're not finding it on your makeup, it is because the product is not for sale in the UK or Europe, and it's probably a North American product or a product from another region. In a previous episode, I forget which number it was, we did talk about uh, the lot numbers that you can find sometimes on products, and then you can use that lot number to contact the company and look up the date when something was made. Uh, but it's much more complicated. The PAO attempts to make things more simple for consumers. I think it simplifies things a bit too much because they don't know you don't know how long it's been sitting on the shelf and how long it's been in your own shelf. So that whole PAO thing might not be accurate if you if you're past the expiration date of the product anyway. Yeah, which by the way, not every brand uh, puts on there. Most brands don't. So on the plus side, uh, makeup actually, especially the pressed powders and things, they can last for a long time, right? (laughs) It's practically good forever. I mean, I would say like probably many people would not agree with that statement, but I have a blush. I've been working on using it for eight years and like, (laughs) yeah, is it getting a little like compressed and kind of like, it has like that weird, like plasticky look on top. Yeah, but it still works. Uh, So I can see that the, the beauty industry really is not wanting consumers like you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm like That's the okay. biggest hypocrite. I also sometimes don't use a thermal protectant on hair oh if I flat iron oh it. My. Yeah. And that's like the one thing I preach. I'm like, but I didn't have one. I'm just kidding. Not kidding. It's a terrible habit. <laughs> I, I just, uh, every so often I use this hair styling gel from Axe or it's not just styling putty or whatever from Axe. And I never use hair. I, I mean, I almost never do. I've had this same tub I've been using since 2009. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Hey, it must be preserved still... well. Well, it, it's anhydrous, so... Oh. But the fragrance still smells all right, and, you know... But <laughs> I'm a terrible beauty consumer. I admit it. I admit it, people. <laughs> How about we move on to the next question? Good question. <laughs> yeah, but let's yeah. do that. All right, our next question comes to us from Rachel, and Rachel says, Hi, beauty brains. I like to use eye cream, but most of them leave me with those little white bumps that take weeks Mm. or even months to go away. I'm told that these are called milia, and how can I tell which creams will cause these annoying side effects, and are there certain ingredients that I should avoid? Valerie, are you familiar with this milia effect? I am, I am. So... I've actually talked to my dermatologist about this and milia are not, uh, pimples. Uh, they're not, um, oil filled glands or anything like that. They are actually keratin filled cysts that, um, are very persistent. Uh, they can stay for weeks, months, even longer. 
and they're very, very hard bumps. And so it often comes from, you know, some things are like genetic predisposition. And in the case, that's a little bit here, but also you have some environmental contribution going on that is causing these. And it's not necessarily products that you're using, but it's a lifestyle. Um, So maybe Uh, you have uh, sun damage or maybe you're using really harsh uh, products, but basically what you have is keratin that's filling up um, in the skin there. It's the, what, the dead keratinocytes uh, on the surface filling up in your pores? Exactly. Exactly. Into like a little cyst. And Gotcha. I told my dermatologist, I take a sewing needle and I heat it up to sterilize it. Hmm. And then I let it cool down and then I dig the milia out. And she said, that is not what you should do. (laughs) Hello, Dr. Pimple Popper. (laughs) Yeah. She's like, no, do not do that. So um, you can go to a dermatologist and have them uh, remove the milia um, out, but you should not try to um, squeeze it or pop it yourself. Because again, it's not like a fluid or a zit. Um, It actually is like a really, uh, a really hard hard piece and uh, you can have it professionally removed if you feel like it's not going away on its own. Uh, doing what I do can leave scars. I actually have a scar by my eye from where I did that. And I'm not going to lie, it hurt. And I caused yeah. a lot more damage and I'm like, I should have left it alone. Um, however, it, so I, it's I think, hard to leave those things alone sometimes. You know? Yeah. And because it's not a zit, you don't want to start putting on ingredients for acne because that's not going to make it go away. So when you say, are there ingredients I, I should avoid? It shouldn't really be what are ingredients I should avoid to prevent getting milia? What are ingredients I should avoid to not uh, hurt the skin even more? That's really what the question is. Right. And I wouldn't put like really hardcore um, acne actives on it because again, it's not a zit. I think, um, having a proper skincare routine with really uh, gentle exfoliation will help them from forming. And I would think exfoliation, like an AHA or, uh, you know, Ch- chemical sort of exfoliation. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Could help to remove that. Right. Yeah. And I think, uh, if you, already have a really good routine and you're not too aggressive with your skin and you have a good um, chemical exfoliant in your arsenal, I would just make a, a an appointment with a dermatologist and uh, get their opinion to see specifically what more could be causing them. And maybe they could help build a regimen for you or maybe even uh, pr- provide a prescription uh, to help these really stubborn spots uh, go away. And that's what I did. And I would think that the cause of these is not really specifically known, certainly on an individual level. Uh, There could be some ingredients that uh, Rachel is particularly sensitive to and to helps to cause these things. But, you know, we we could only conjecture. We wouldn't really know. It's going to be a genetic thing. I mean, for me, I feel like when I use... um, physical sunscreens. I know you hate that term, Perry, but like physical, uh, physical particles, the chemical one I don't like. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. When I use, um, sunscreens with titanium dioxide or zinc oxide too close to my eyes, I get the milia around my eye area. Hmm. Um, again, I don't know if that's like really a cause, um, or maybe it's not helping. Maybe it's not the cause, but I find when I don't use those for me, it's better. Um, but 
again, I think you'll have to experiment again. It's not as it, it's not like I, I've seen articles online saying, oh, avoid petrolatum or mineral oil that's causing milia. Again, this is not a zit or a comedone or anything like that. It's a little keratin filled cyst. So you need to improve your exfoliation. And again, if it's not going away, uh, visit your dermatologist and see what they have for you. But don't heat up a sterilized needle and poke yourself and don't take nail clippers and chomp it out. <laughs> not that I've ever I've also tried done, anything like that. <laughs> I've also done that. Do uh, not do it. Um, it's not a good idea. Times when to not take our advice. <laughs> no, I mean, take our advice. Say don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gee. Looks like we got time for one more audio question. This one comes to us from Anastasia. Hi, beauty brains. Uh, My name is Anastasia. I'm calling from Spain. I love your podcast. I have a hair question. I have been lately taking care of my hair, and I don't want to use any products that could potentially damage it. My question is, if I use things like antifreeze and serums, would any of this be detrimental to my hair? Is it better to use an oil? Is better not to use anything? Anyway, thank you for your time. Bye. Anti-frizz serums. You know, one of the first products that I worked on as a young budding cosmetic chemist was a anti-frizz serum. Uh, you remember that product, Frizzies? Yeah. That was the number one selling anti That was you? No, that was not me. Oh. I was the uh, I was the Alberto Culver knockoff product of Frizzies. <laughs> I was like, that's right, because Frizzies is a John Frieda product, right? Of that course, yes. Cow, yeah. You know like, the strategy. Oh the strategy of VO5 was you look on the market and see what are the best selling products, and then we just knock them off for cheap. <laughs> I think that's a lot of brand strategies, yeah. to be perfectly honest. Well, VO5 could get away with it because they're the 99-cent shampoo, and, you know, they're a little low-cost. People sort of expect them. Like, another brand that could do that is Suave. Suave is Mm -hmm. low-cost. Like, Pantene couldn't really do that. You know, they they can't sell real cheap because they're like a mid-price shampoo. Yeah. But we were, you know, we were VO5. We called it, what was that strategy we used? It was called the... The fast follower or something where you yeah. just, mm-hmm. whatever's popular, you just copy it and make it cheap. <laughs> so anyway, this anti-frizz serum was one of the first things that I worked on. It was actually just uh, some dimethicanol, um, I think some cellulose thickener, um, and then that uh, violet number two, right? <laughs> so mm-hmm. It's like a very simple formula. And it, as far as, you know, it taming frizz, it, it was good as whatever could tame frizz. But the question is about, are these frizz serums detrimental to hair? And I'm going to say, uh, no, not not based on the formulas that uh, are out there or are popular. Uh, they mostly consist of things that will coat the hair. Um, silicones will make the hair slip and slide uh, and coat the hair and make it shinier. In that way, I think it's doing the hair a benefit, right? It's lubricating the hair. Yeah, exactly. So wherever you have damaged hair, uh, which, you know, 
damage frizz is usually a result of some sort of damaged hair and then an unequal absorption of moisture on a different side of the hair. You get a coating on there, the moisture is going to be evened out, the hair is going to be weighed down. Essentially, you're going to reduce and tame frizz in that way. So, uh, no, I would say that these anti-frizz serums certainly are not detrimental to the hair. They're beneficial to the hair. Uh, the only kind of detriment you might get is it might get your hair to look uh, dull and dirty because it will. these serums will attract uh, dirt and dust over the course of the day, and so that might negatively affect your hair over time. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, um, I mean, they're, they're not much different than, say, a leave-in conditioner. And whether or not these anti-frizz serums are better or worse than oil or not using anything, I would say it's six in one, half a dozen in the other. I think it depends what hair type you have. If you have really fine hair, you'll be very hard pressed to find an oil that does not make your hair feel weighed down or greasy. Um, I think silicones have so much versatility in how volatile they are. Perry mentioned the word dimethicanol. That's actually a silicone gum that's designed... Uh, to adhere to the hair, uh, which can be a good thing, especially when you're looking for long day frizz longevity. Um, so I think it re- yeah, really depends on what your hair type is, what your preference is. Some people really love oils. Some p- people really love these silicone-based anti-frizz serums. Um, not many people like water-based serums because that can cause frizz. Um, so I think we're mostly talking the silicone-based ones. But I think using either is better than nothing, um, especially when you're talking about all the benefits that Perry mentioned, plus you're helping with mechanical damage, preventing that. So I would say using something is a win, uh, whether it's an oil or silicone um, is up to your preference. I mean, I personally would probably say that most people are going to be more happy with the results you get out of silicones. But, you know, some people do like the way that the oils feel and the, the way they interact with their hair. So it's yeah. like a personal preference. But either way, they are not going to be detrimental to your hair. Yeah. Thanks, Anastasia. All right. Thanks, Anastasia. And thanks, everybody, who sent in questions. And, you know, Valerie, before we wrap up today, I want to do a special thanks to all of our patrons there. The patrons, uh, if you are a subscriber and a patron to our show, we very much appreciate it. You can help uh, keep the show going and keep the show ad-free by going to uh, patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribing. But uh, we are actually planning an event for our patrons in mid-September. Look in your inbox for that. Uh, And if If you are a patron and you had a question, feel free to send that to us through your Patreon account and we'll make sure we get you on the next show. Uh, We do have next uh, show, we do have a question from a patron coming up. But before we get to that, uh, why don't we do a little thank you to all of our patrons. And they include Jennifer E., Svetlana, Caroline U., uh, Shoshana S., Andrew L., Jasmine L., Jasmine N., Niner Gale, Helen M. We also have Taryn F., Diana W., Autumn, Evgenia, Karen, Steffi, Ayu, Mario, and Yvette. And Karen C., Melanie M., Kelly H., Liz B., Kasha K., Didyet, Anna, 
extra fries. I like the extra fries. <laughs> I wish my mom would have named me that. Also, thank you to Tima, Heidi, Lois, Eva, Magdalena, Maya, Melisande, Mary, Stephanie, Naomi, Alyssa. Melanie W. Belladonna, 1307, Misty R., Christopher G. And a special thanks to our top patrons, Kimberly R. and Emily D. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, thanks everybody. And if you want to be a patron, go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains. And if you want us to uh, shout out a different name or some other handle, we can do that too. Say you wanted to publicize your own podcast you know i've heard there are some new beauty podcasts out there these days we'd be happy to read your (laughs) name as long as you're a subscriber well thanks again everyone for listening yeah if you get a chance could you go over to the apple podcast store or to spotify and leave us a review uh leave us a positive review or just a review at all (laughs) save the negative stuff for your exactly Whoa. (laughs) Now that's going to help other people find the show and ensure that we have a full docket of beauty questions to answer. Incidentally, if you want to get your question answered, we really do like the audio questions. You can just record your audio question on your smartphone and then email it to thebeautybrains at gmail.com and you might hear your own voice on the show. Also, don't forget to follow us on our various social media accounts, which I promise I'll pick back up on. It's been a very rough month. On Instagram, we're at TheBeautyBrains2018. On Twitter, we're at TheBeautyBrains. And we have a Facebook page. Well, that's it, everyone. Thanks again for listening. And remember, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everybody. Kittens.